0: Well, good evening, everyone. Please grab a seat. My name is Samuel, and if we haven't met before, I am one of the ministry trainees here at St. Andrew's Free Church. As Scott uh, told us earlier, we are going to be continuing our series in the Heidelberg Catechism as we look at question 32, which Scott read out for us earlier. If you've been away for the summer and you haven't been here for our Truth For Life series, we've been using the questions and answers of the Catechism as a helpful teaching tool. The Catechism helps us to connect the dots from all we've been learning from the Bible this year, whether from sermons or from life groups. And so I'm going to ask you to now turn to 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, which can be found on page 1018 in the Black Church Bibles. Before I begin, I will lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us, your children. Thank you that you want us, your precious children, to have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And so I ask that you would speak through me tonight and soften all of our hearts to hear and respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Second Peter begins, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is a Christian? How would we explain it to someone who had never heard the word before? or perhaps had a muddled idea of what the word means. How would we explain it? What is a Christian? If you ask someone on Market Street in St. Andrews, what is a Christian? They may answer with, a Christian is someone who goes to church. Just as people who go to the cinema and like films are cinema goers, And just as people who walk up hills are hill walkers, by the same token, perhaps if you go to church, you are a Christian. Maybe someone else on the street would say that they try to be a Christian by visiting the elderly and sick or helping a charity with good deeds. When this person has fun, is naughty, or does something for themselves, then they weren't very Christian in that moment. Another answer we may hear on the street is that there are Christian families and Christian nations. A family may identify as Christian, and so all members are Christians because they are part of that family. Or maybe because the United Kingdom is still in name a Christian country, Most citizens of the UK may be called a Christian just because they live in the UK. What is a Christian? I hope by the end of the sermon, not just to provide an academic, all-encompassing dictionary definition of what a Christian is. I hope to show that being a Christian is a real source of delight and comfort and is a privilege to be. And for those here tonight or maybe watching online who wouldn't say that they are a Christian, I hope that understanding what a Christian really is will sound so attractive that you want to explore more or maybe even become one yourself. It really is the best thing to be. Tonight, I'm going to have two points to my sermon. Firstly, how do we become Christians? And secondly, what does a Christian do? How do we become Christians? As the Bible teaches and the Catechism summarizes, it is because by faith I am a member of Christ. Our culture, as we probably know, puts a lot of pressure on the individual. Our culture says that I am the decider of my own destiny, that if I want a certain home, a certain income, a certain fitness level, then I can get it, if I work hard enough. And the thinking of our culture can seep into what we think being a Christian is that it is through being more religious or more learned or more good that maybe someday, finally, we can be a Christian. Being a Christian is, in fact, not achieved by us. It is dependent on another person, that person being Jesus Christ. And what is the connection between someone who calls themselves a Christian and this Jesus Christ. Will you look with me at the sheet and on the handout at Ephesians chapter 5 verses 29 to 30. This is how God's word describes the relationship between a Christian and Jesus Christ. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. The connection between Jesus and Christians is so deep and mysterious that Christians aren't just people who have a high opinion of Jesus, or in a tick box sheet have said that they believe certain historical facts about Jesus. The Bible teaches that the connection is so deep between a Christian and Jesus Christ that a Christian is a member of Christ's body. The link between us and Jesus is like the link we have with our fingers or our kidneys or our eyes. This isn't saying that I am literally an eye or a finger of Jesus Christ, the man with his physical body somehow divided around the world. It is saying, however, for the Christian, that we are Jesus's. Jesus isn't a hobby of ours, a little part of our time and thoughts. When we become a Christian, we cease to be our own. And when we become a Christian, we aren't just under the care and protection of our minister or our family, As the first answer of the catechism says, if you were here for that sermon, we belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to our faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. As the head of us, his body, Jesus directs us, guiding us with his word and spirit. He works through us, his body, allowing his gospel to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth through us. And as our head, he cherishes us, as Ephesians says, his body. One of my favorite illustrations of this from the Bible is Jesus's appearance to Saul on the road to Damascus. What Jesus says to Saul, the persecutor of the church, is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me jesus had by this point ascended into heaven saul hadn't touched jesus only his followers saul acknowledges this asking who are you lord and again jesus responds i am jesus whom you are persecuting The first Christians weren't people just left behind by Jesus hoping to maybe someday have a future connection with him. Jesus is saying that to persecute Christians is to persecute him. How wonderful is this that Jesus takes us as members of himself and watches over us with the fondest care. Why should Jesus want anything to do with us? If I look at my own life, I've hurt people, I've sinned, I've been forgetful of God's kindness to me. And yet, God doesn't just tolerate his people or begrudgingly honor a contract and go, yes, you believe, I'll let you in if I have to. Jesus has gone further in making us members of his body and this is a great security for the Christian in being a member of Christ Paul states in Romans famously that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we would go to great lengths, I think, to prevent a part of our own body from being cut off. I personally would go to great lengths to prevent part of my body being cut off. But do not think that we would go to greater lengths than the Son of God would go for the church. He will not lose any of us his people that he loves in all eternity. But becoming a part of this body is by faith. I know that for some of us here, we thought growing up that going to church automatically made you a Christian. Going to church in itself doesn't make you a Christian any more than me going to Fisher and Donaldson's would make me a fudge donut. You'll find them there, they're very tasty, I would recommend them, but that's not what it is in itself. You don't become united to Christ just by attending church or being surrounded by Christians. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 teaches that for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. It is not attendance that saves, but responding to the absolute certainty that Jesus has paid the full price for my sins on the cross and repenting of sins. And so I would challenge anyone who has thought that showing up at church events and being seen is what constitutes a relationship with Jesus that there is far more to being a Christian than just being seen. I would challenge you to repent and see the beauty of being a member of Christ by faith. The catechism goes further if you look again at your sheet. By faith, we are a member of Christ and share in his anointing. We thought earlier about how someone on the street may respond to the question of what is a Christian. Anointing can seem a word very foreign to us. I am pretty sure that if any of us here were asked what is a Christian, the word anointing would be very far from our lips. As John brought out last week, in Israel's history, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed for special God-given roles. And out of all of these prophets, priests, and kings down the centuries, Jesus is the chief prophet, only high priest, and eternal king. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus was anointed. In Jesus' baptism, the heavens are torn open, and the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. When we read the word anointed from scripture and see the examples, it can be very difficult for us ordinary Christians to think the word anointing has anything to do with us. Let's look again at First John, which Jackie read out for us earlier on page 1022. John writes, if you look at chapter two, verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. The anointing has happened. It isn't a future thing Christians are to look forward to. The believers John was writing to weren't sinless, impressive believers. John has written earlier in the letter that if anyone says that they have no sin, they are deceived. But these ordinary believers that John is writing to have been anointed by the Holy One. If you look down again at verse 27, John continues to write, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just it has taught you, abide in him. What is this anointing that John is talking about? We learn from the rest of the New Testament that this is from the Holy Spirit. The prophets, priests, and kings of the Old Testament had the Spirit rush upon them to perform certain tasks. The prophet Joel, however, spoke of a day when the Spirit wouldn't just rush upon specific people for a specific amount of time for specific tasks. Joel spoke of a day when the Lord would pour out his Spirit on all flesh. On this day, all of God's people will have intimate communion with the Lord. Joel speaks of how your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Jesus promised that in his absence, the helper Joel wrote of would be sent by the Father to be with his people forever. After Jesus's death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus's words are fulfilled. His people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, one of God's people, filled with the Holy Spirit, is therefore able to claim the words of Joel for himself, which you will see on your sheet from Acts chapter two, verse 17. The same Holy Spirit that rushed on the prophets, priests, and kings, that descended as a dove on the Lord Jesus in his anointing at baptism, the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead, now dwells in the Christian. The Christian knows, loves, and calls on their heavenly Father. As such, we share in this anointing all Christians are therefore in an extremely privileged position and this means no Christian should be made to feel to be a subpar Christian when i first became a christian i was told by someone to the effect that i was a subpar christian i had repented and believed the gospel but if I really wanted to be on fire for God, then I needed to say a specific prayer whilst kneeling on the floor and then have some sort of ecstatic vision and speak in tongues. We can wonder whether we are the real deal. Are we really anointed? Other things seem to promise a deeper knowledge with the Lord. We still battle through the years with indwelling sin. The New Testament, however, teaches that there aren't subpar Christians and the special anointed ones who have a real deep faith. The passage I read earlier from 2 Peter is written by Peter, who saw Jesus's earthly ministry face to face. But he, Peter the Apostle, addresses the Christians he is writing to Never saw Jesus face to face as those who have a faith of equal standing with his. All believers share equal privileges before God. Whether an apostle who saw Jesus face to face or the believer in 2023, we have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. So, this is wonderfully how one becomes a Christian. However, just as the prophets, priests, and kings were anointed for a special God-given purpose, so amazingly, all ordinary Christians are anointed for a special purpose as well. This brings me to my second point, what a Christian does. The titles of chief prophet, only high priest, and eternal king belong to Jesus alone. But graciously, through being a member of Christ and sharing in his anointing, all his people, in a similar but lesser way, have the role of prophet, priest, and king. These are such encouraging and extraordinary truths. We were dead sinners, but when we were grafted in by God, adopted into his family, he doesn't give his children small morsels. He gives each believer these wonderful privileges. Jesus, as I've said, is the Christian's chief prophet, but he allows each Christian to, as a prophet, confess his name. Every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit, so that we can make God known by passing on the message of Jesus, his death, resurrection, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Because the same Holy Spirit dwells in all Christians, the Bible makes it clear that the confession of Christ's name is the job of every Christian, not just the disciples back then, or those in paid ministry now. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus teaches, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus doesn't say that to be acknowledged by him, it is whoever converts the most people or whoever tells the gospel never with stuttering or nerves, or whoever creates the most impressive defense new about Christianity. But a Christian cannot be silent about Jesus, who they are a member of. I think we would all find it odd if we had a friend for years and they never told us that they had a spouse or a child. But isn't it more odd in the grand scheme of things if someone could amazingly be a member of Christ but never wish to offer this gospel to others? Speaking God's word can be daunting, but the Bible encourages us that it will bear fruit, enabling people to hear and respond to the gospel at all and helping our brothers and sisters to mature in the faith. Ephesians speaks of how the Christian speaks the truth in love to one another, and through this grows in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Our speaking the truth in love to one another is therefore necessary, for this strengthens the body to stand firm against the various challenges that will come to the church. And so our confession of Christ isn't only how the church grows, but is also the means Christ uses to keep the church standing firm. Telling the truth in love, even when it can be difficult, links to the next role of a Christian, the priestly role of offering a sacrifice of praise to God. Jesus is wonderfully the perfect sacrifice and the perfect priest. We can sing with joy, Jesus has paid it all. But when the New Testament is describing the life of the Christian, it still uses the language of sacrifice. Not an atoning sacrifice, but a sacrifice of thanks and praise. Romans 12 says famously, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Jesus gives us the power to not just begrudgingly obey some rules with the hope of maybe getting into heaven, but to... Offer all aspects of our lives as living sacrifice of thanks to Him. It is helpful when thinking about this to consider the priest of the Old Testament. His life was set apart, it wasn't the ordinary course of the world or what others would do, but a special life of consecration to the Lord. And in the New Testament, all Christians are described by Peter as a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so, as I read earlier from 2 Peter, the New Testament expects the Christian to demonstrate and work out their new identity through righteous, sacrificial, thankful living we are not our own anymore but as God's chosen people our thoughts our possessions our families our money can be offered as a living sacrifice of thanks and praise our priestly role is not as visual or obvious as the priests of Israel The sacrifice of an ordinary Christian can seem weak, unimpressive. It may be giving up a certain relationship, a certain pattern of behavior, a certain character trait, a certain lifestyle that people around us may call no big deal and no need to give up. But our living sacrifice of thanks is seen by our heavenly father and is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And our heavenly father's delight in his children is further shown in my last point, the role of a Christian king. Jesus as our high king has all authority in heaven and on earth. At his name, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. Now, if you know me, you'll know that I'm a person very focused on the now. I like to make a to-do list and to get it done as soon as possible. And sometimes I can transfer that urgent way, present way of thinking to the Christian life, that it is just the battle year upon year with indwelling sin that is telling people the gospel for years and seeing little to no fruit. What the Bible teaches isn't that there is nothing beyond the present for the Christian. What the Bible teaches is that the Christian, as sons and daughters of the living God, are co-heirs with Christ. And as co-heirs with Christ, as 2 Timothy teaches, if we endure, we will also reign with him. These words should knock us over sideways. Christ's inheritance is all things. Why should we inherit what 2 Peter calls his precious and very great promises? Christ's riches. Christ's glory, all things. I read online that the preacher, Puritan even, uh, Richard Baxter, used to meditate on the promises of God on heaven for 30 minutes a day. Often at moments of the day when just running through errands, it will come at me as a surprise, and I will go, oh yes, it is true, I will reign with him. Have you ever considered the reality that you, Christian, will reign with Christ forever? What difference would it make to our Christian lives to savor these truths? The words in 2 Timothy were written to encourage perseverance if we endure we will also reign with him. I hope that this title of Christian has become more precious to us tonight and that we will keep persevering, knowing what a joy it is to have such a title as Christian. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you let us be Christians. Thank you that you grafted us in to be part of the body of Christ and be under Jesus the head's care. Thank you that you have anointed us with the Holy Spirit and now we can call upon you as our Heavenly Father in light of the assurance we have, in light of what great promises we have, please help us to confess your name. Please help us to offer our lives as living sacrifices of thanksgiving. And please help us to endure as we wait for the day when we will reign with him. In Jesus' name, amen. As the band leads, let's